Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi. Really excited for this week's episode, we have the famous Richard Harris from the Harris Consulting Group joining us today. Richard teaches sales reps how to earn the right to ask questions and which questions to ask and when. And this episode is all about the types of questions we should be asking to help the customer through the buying process. Richard comes with a wealth of knowledge, being the founder of the Harris Consulting Group and also the Director of Sales Training and Consulting at Sales Hacker. So this episode has some awesome nuggets that every sales professional can benefit from. Before we get into it, I've been really enjoying the dialogue and the comments and messages I've been receiving on LinkedIn about the show. Please keep it up because it's really, it's really humbling to hear that our, our, our show is having such a positive impact on sales professionals all over the world. If you haven't already, jump online, go to iTunes, wherever you listen, like and share us. Also, hit me up on LinkedIn. Please share with me what are some of the topics you'd love us to explore and with what particular, you know, and if you've got any guests in mind, also share with us, you know, who you'd like us to talk to. And, and again, what are some of those topics? So guys, get a pen out, have a sit down or wherever you're listening. And really there's some real nuggets to take away from this episode. We hope you enjoy it and look forward to hearing your feedback. So welcome to the show, Richard. We're uh, pretty pumped to have you on our, on, on the Sales IQ podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to do it as well. <laughs> awesome. So before we you know, dive deep into um, today's session around asking questions and building rapport and, and the sales process, can you share with us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the world of sales? How I got started in the world of sales, according to my mother, was very early. Um, <laughs> You know, my first sales job I ever had, I tell this every now and then, was um, a buddy, uh, my neighbor's son was selling Jolly Ranchers, you know, candy yep. for his school. So I went and took his, I would buy boxes from him and then I would take them to, God, I, I guess I was in fifth grade, sixth grade, and maybe even seventh grade. Yep. And I would buy them from him and charge more to make money um to the kids at my school so, all right <laughs> um, that's where that was my first sales job that i recall yeah and uh you liked the hustle back then i did i did well i liked the money yeah you know i mean like i was i was figuring it out i don't even think my parents knew i did it um <laughs> i don't think anybody was, i don't think i ever got caught um but you know it was good it was it was it was fun oh fantastic well, there's nothing wrong with that you're making a you know margin off a product absolutely right what do i know and when did you sort of take that um hobby or that um interest into a full-time career um well i was always interested in making money um when i became a teenager later went through sort of you know through confirmation and stuff um rather than asking for gifts like like a lot of kids do at confirmation of bar mitzvahs or or sweet 16s i asked for money because i wanted to buy stocks okay so 
my first stock that I ever bought, my mom was, my mom is still my broker, <laughs> but, um, the first stock I ever bought was MTV. So this was in the mid eighties, wow. um, which is now part of Viacom. So I've always sort of had an interest in figuring out how to make money. Um, but even when I, my first real job, I would even say in high school, uh, was working at the gap. So I knew I wanted to do something in sales. I liked that concept of, of helping people and supporting people. And of course, you know, as a teenager to get paid to, to, and get a great discount at, at a clothing store that was considered the cool clothing store at the time, yeah. you know, that couldn't ask for anything better. So I always knew I was going to be business minded. Um, but I didn't know where it was going to take me in, in, in terms of true sales and salesmanship. Okay. And so you just mentioned then, you know, helping people, et cetera. When, when did you connect the two to say, I want to make money, but uh, in order for me to make money, if I help people, I can make money? Yeah. Um, it's interesting you asked it that way because as a kid, I was a, I was a little bit of an American history buff, and I always thought it would be cool to be a teacher, but I knew there was no money in, in education. Like there, I knew yeah. that I wasn't going to make a lot of money. So I think I combined that desire to help people from a teaching aspect into sales. When I first got into sales, um, my goal was never to be the top seller. My goal was to be in management because I wanted to help people. I wanted to help the reps improve their lives. I wanted to teach them things. And I've always sort of thrived in that realm. Um, I was never your crush it out of the park month after month, quarter after quarter, quarter sales rep. I was your steady Eddie. I was the guy you didn't have to worry about, but I would also help onboard people. I would help train people. I would do process and projects. So I may not have been like the crusher closer, um, from that mindset, but I was much more of the the helper and the teacher and the educator, which was good for the team. And I think, you know, all teams can use somebody like that. Yeah. You're spot on. And so, so fast forward, um, yeah, you know, you were the steady Eddie. You, uh, you know, process. You just talked about process. People train, educate, and you know, you never had to be worried about from a sales perspective. Um, right. Talk to us. What inspired you to start your own business around, you know, training, development, and helping people grow? <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't as much inspiration as people think. <laughs> I got fired. Oh, um, okay. Well, so there's the inspiration was, to start, right? Yeah. It, this is, this is how it all works, right? I was working for this amazing company um, that I that I still love, a uh, great company called Mashery, and they were going through an acquisition process, and I was probably line number 74, uh, you know, on yeah. a 22-line spreadsheet. Like, I just, they didn't need another sales ops guy, but uh, Rock and, and everybody over at Mashery just, they took care of me. They, as I said, they hugged me out the door. They showed me a lot of respect. Uh, they made sure that, that I had some runway, uh, as I looked for my next career. And then through that, I was interviewing constantly. And, and finally someone just said, Hey, can you come help us solve this problem? And all of a sudden I had a client for a month. And then I was on an airplane and met somebody on an airplane. Literally it turned out this is way back in the day when it turned out to be Nick Meta, who's the CEO of Gainsight. Yeah. You know, they were maybe 30 people, maybe, maybe 15 people at that point. Um, and now they're, you know, a freaking unicorn. Wow. Um, but all of a sudden I had two clients who were going to, you know, pay me for 60 days of work, what I made in six months. And I, <laughs> I looked at my wife and I'm like, something's going on here. The world's telling us something, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I picked up the phone. I, I called one of my closest friends, John Barrows, who's a trainer in the space yeah. and, uh, as a friend and, and mentored me throughout the years. And he's like, Richard, you know how to do this. I trust you could do it. 
you know, it doesn't happen the way it's happening for you, but you know, if you're going to make a shot at it, now's as good a time as any. And it's six years later. And I, you know, I, I, you know, I feel very blessed to have met some people and, and just, you know, just being prepared for when that door opened so I can mm. walk through it. Yeah. There's always a silver lining, right? Oh yeah. 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 Like it was, it was, uh, you know, like I, like I said, I have, I have a, I learned so much over at Mashery and, and I have no, literally no criticism of anyone there. It's a business. It's, it, you know, kind of hurts in the moment, but that's how business goes. But they treated me right. Yeah. And, um, and because of that, you know, I'm where I am today. So I, I really can't criticize them. I have to thank them in many ways. Mm. I often say, you know, I've got young kids and I keep telling them this, that, um, you know, when, when, when one door closes and multiple open or, you know, when, when stuff yeah. happens. And I think, you know, in my career, if I look back in my career, the biggest, um, you know, milestone I ever had was I went for the same job trying to get a promotion. This is uh, when I was quite yeah. younger. And after the third time trying to become that, you know, account manager from inside sales to account manager, um, they told me I'm not good at selling. And, um, right. you know, and after the third time, I thought, I actually thought that, um, and I went off on a journey on, you know, a particular journey and uh, I had a bit of sales redemption. What was it eight, nine years later when I did a deal with them worth about four and a half million dollars um, that I sold back to exactly. them. So, you know, often these times of, um, you know, when we feel the pain, uh, it can be the best things that happen to us in our life. So, so fast yeah. forward six years, you've trained a heap of salespeople Um you know, in your opinion, what do great salespeople do that separates them from the rest? They learn. They constantly educate. And I think that was probably my biggest downfall is that I, I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the biggest differences I see between Gen X and millennials, and it's one of the reasons I love working with millennials, is that they're always on this path of self-improvement, right? Gen X, we carried it we and still carry a chip on our shoulder, of like, I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. Right. We yeah. sort of question authority in a different way. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think millennials, uh, while they can question authority, they're doing it from a position of wanting to be more educated. We did it from a sheer point of rejection and I, and I'm probably overgeneralizing on both, both places, but you know, Oh, well, what, you know, that's what we do in life for humans. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that's the thing that sets the best apart is they're constantly working. If you look at anybody who's the goat, right? If you look at, I don't care if you like them or not, but whether it's Michael Jordan or Tom Brady or, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky or any of the other Usain Bolt, you know, it all came down to constant practice, constant training and constant learning. Uh, Tiger Woods is the same way. He's, you know, constantly tweaking things. Golfers do this. They tweak, you know, the grip by a quarter inch and then they'll swing the club a thousand times to see if that's better. Right. Yeah. So that's the part that I think really separates, you know, good from great. Okay. So those characteristics that you've just mentioned is the fact that they continue to refine and improve and, 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 and practice their craft. Yeah. But I also think it has to, even before they do, but even before they start to practice, there has to be an internal willingness and desire to want to be better. Okay. Right. It doesn't mean they don't have, it doesn't mean they don't have days where it's like, Oh, I don't want to go to the gym today or whatever. Of course we have that, but there's a, there's a, there's a burning desire. There's a fire in the belly that makes them want to get better. There are plenty of people in the world who are very happy with where they're at and that's okay. Like I'm not saying everybody has to have that fire in the belly. Right. Um, you know, you do need to do what makes you happy in life. 
And if reaching a certain level is, is okay, then, and, and you're happy, then stick with it. But if yeah. you want more, you got to be willing to do it and you got to have the desire within you to actually get better. All right. So can we talk about that? So if we think about it at the moment, uh, and I see there's multiple different stats about how many people aren't hitting quota at the moment, right? Right, right. So let's just focus on that for a moment. So that, that burning desire, if we've got a bunch of people that aren't hitting quota or even the ones that are, you know, they're hitting quota one month, then the next month they drop, you know, one month. Right. If from an individual perspective, from a sales leadership perspective, what are some things we can do to create that burning desire? Or if our attitude's not right, how can we then go flick a switch? You know, I don't know that you can. I'll be honest with you. Okay. Like, I, I, this is the story I tell all the time um, is that I have two boys, uh, Riley, who's 10, and Bodie, who's almost nine. And Riley will get out of the swim pool. To swim, you know, we do swimming here for, for one of his sports. Yeah. And he'll get out of the pool and he'll say, what place did I come in? And we'll say fourth place. And he'll go, great, green ribbon. Like he's just excited he got a ribbon, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, Bodie actually – he, like, I remember when he first started swimming, he would swim the length of the pool. He barely looked like he wasn't drowning. He finished last by 30 seconds and he would look up at the end of the pool and he would just say, did I win? And we would say, no, buddy, you didn't win. And before we could even get him out of the pool and, you know, he was probably four at yeah. this point, he, he was in tears because he expects to win. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I, I can't teach that in him. Right. Like, yeah. Bodie, just, just a couple of weeks ago, the kids had a spelling bee contest. Riley, Riley's desire at school was to just make sure he wasn't the first person knocked out of the spelling bee. Bodie tried really hard. He practiced. And I, and I heard this story later is that when, when he got knocked out of the spelling bee, he, a tear started to come down of his eye. You know, like he just wants to win. Mm. Um, and again, that doesn't mean Riley shouldn't be a salesperson, right? Yeah. Riley could be the steady Eddie. He could be the guy who just wants to be successful and succeed and be happy. Whereas Bodie wants to win in order to be happy. And, you know, so to some extent, yes, you can coach to it, but I can't teach desire. I can't teach willingness. I can't teach commitment. There's no sales trainer that can teach you that. You have to make that decision. And the thing that I see a lot is that um, people, particularly in sales these days, particularly when we're hiring, you know, the younger people, the millennials or the Gen Zs coming out of college, you know, their next job doesn't need to be a salesperson. Like I, if I interview someone for a sales rep and they're coming in as an SDR, I'd, you know, I don't want them to know that their next job needs to be a salesperson. They're 20 something years old. Really? Yeah. Like I didn't know what the heck I was going to do at 20 something. Right. Yeah. So, um, so my, my quest for those people is, well, where's their willingness to, and desire to learn what they want to be. Yeah. Right. I'd much rather have a rep say, you know, I don't know. I'd like to stay in business. Like they need to give me some level of business acumen. Like they need to say, Hey, I want to be in this, or I think I want to do marketing or I might want to do customer success. Like they got to make it worth my time. But you know, I, I you know, I can't expect everybody to, to want to be a salesperson. Yeah, spot on. But I think one of the things that you're talking about, that desire, that characteristics, I mean, that lends itself to any industry, right? It doesn't have to be sales um, if they want right. to, you know. So so on, on the flip side, if we if we can't teach that into someone, is there a way that we can help people become aware of, of you know, to, to that they haven't got that burning desire or, or, you know, maybe they are happy, content with where they're at, but um, – yeah. I, 
I think so, but I think I think at some point you do, and this is the part that's not on the sales rep's fault. This is the lack of management experience, yeah. which is where a manager kind of needs to sit down and, and be able to say, look, you know, just, you know, what do you really want to do? If you could have your dream job tomorrow, what would that dream job be? Yeah. And if I want that, you know, hopefully if I've done a good job as a manager, my rep will tell me what that is. And I'll be like, well, what's preventing you from doing it? Like, I'm happy that you're here. I like you, but you know, the performance isn't there. And to a certain extent, I feel like you're, you're, you might be wasting your time here, right? That's how you hug somebody out the door, yeah. right? Like that's how you say, look, it's okay if you don't want to do this job after a year or two years. Right. Um, and now a lot of managers are afraid to do that because of headcount or it's hard to hire people or they don't want to train somebody or they don't want to have to ramp up a new person. Like the excuse factory is long and it works 24 seven overtime mm. all the time. Uh, as far as I'm concerned when it comes to management. And so I think that that's the, the key is that managers have to be willing to just have an honest conversation with sales reps. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and if it's not the right fit, then let's everybody move on so that we can all do better. Right. I want the rep to go on and have a better life for themselves. I certainly want to go on and build a better team. There's no harm in that. Yeah. It's how you do it and how you execute that conversation that matters most. Yeah. That's perfect segue into some of the stuff that I want, you know, we, we, we're going to talk about today because how we have that conversation, you talk about, you know, having that conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to relate this back to the sales process. So if we take it all the way back to the sales process, I mean, you've talked about in the past, um, adding value, just like the manager's got to do to add value to their, you know, their team members by asking those questions to understand what those intrinsic motivators yeah. are. Um, let's talk about in a customer sense. So before, you know, um, we, we get commitment from a customer to meet, they've got to, they've got to see value in, in actually meeting with us, right? And um, we right. need to demonstrate what that value is to get that commitment. Um, you just share with us a few ways in which we can provide value at the start of well, the sales process. Yeah, the, the way I describe it all the time is that it's, you know, people don't care what you do. They could care less, yeah. right? They, yeah. they have no desire to care about what you do, but all they care about is what pains you solve. So yeah. when you think about what you do, you need to be able to talk about that in the context of the person you're speaking with. So, you know, to a certain point, right, nobody cares that Richard's a sales trainer, right? Yeah. Uh, but but they care when I, they, they pay attention when I say, I can teach your reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when. Dang. I just got to ring my bell because that's, oh, sorry, I've got my sales bell out today. That, that's right. Can you just repeat that, please? Because that is gold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody cares that Richard's a sales trainer. Yep. They could care less, right? What they, what, what piques their interest is that I teach their reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when. Awesome. That's what I do. Yeah. And anybody who's got a sales team can understand the pain associated with that because they probably have some people on their team who are really good at it and some who aren't. Yeah. Um, so my belief is that by speaking about the pain that I solve will now resonate with the person I'm talking to, to at least get them a slightly more interested. Okay. Right. So we're at the start so, of the buying process or the sales process. We've, you know, we're engaging with a, with a prospect um, yep. we've asked the question that piques their interest and what are some of those questions that we could ask right at the start that enables us, earns the right to get that meeting? 
So let me ask you, so are you asking how do I get the meeting or are you asking what do I say in the meeting to start asking questions? What yeah, are you asking before, me to So focus? how do I get the meeting? Let's start before. So whether it's an SDR yeah. inside or, or an outside who's making their own appointment, yeah. you know, what are some questions that we can, we can ask that's going to stimulate or provoke the prospect to say, I want to meet with Richard this week? Yeah. So um, usually for me, it's a case study or a use case, right? Okay. It's a third party reference, right? It's sort of the, 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 um, what's the phrase I'm looking for, but um, social viability, right? Like yeah. when people see you that way uh, with successful people, they wonder why. And when you can explain what you've done, that means something to them, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's why we have logos on our pages, right? Those yeah. things matter to a certain extent, right? They create yeah. a social contract and, um, and social awareness and social buy-in that, that I'm, that what I have to do is meaningful to some people. So you should pay attention. Yeah. So setting that meeting is very specific. Hey, we're, you know, we've helped this company solve this pain, right? Okay. Yeah. If you're experiencing that pain, I'd love to talk to you about Hmm. And there's a high likelihood right. if you've done your research about a particular client or an industry or even if it's a yep. consumer-based sales process, um, there's a high, a high likelihood that they're going to have a similar pain point, right? Because it's usually industry-specific when we go in to talk to customers. It, it, well, it is. Um, it, it, it's, it can be horizontal, right? Okay. Um, I'm sorry. The pain could be horizontal across industries, but the stories become verticalized, ah, right? Okay, yep. Right? So it's interesting, you know, I can pick up the phone and look, I've got, you know, my clients are everyone from sales loft to Zoom to Visa. Yeah. They all have the same freaking problem, <laughs> right? Which yeah. is their reps aren't asking good questions. But if I go to sales loft and try to start talking about Visa, I may miss the mark. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, you so, know. so the stories <laughs> have to okay. be, yeah. So the stories have got yeah. to be essentially credible or at least aligned to the individual yeah. so they can see it's a little bit about them. To a certain degree. Okay. Now on the flip side of that, right. I could have two direct competitors, yep. right. I could, you know, I, I'm not, you know, in case anybody from visas listening, you know, <laughs> if American express called me and said, Hey, we want to, we want to use you for sales training. Who have you worked with? And I say visa, and, you know, you know, American Express, the first thing they're going to say is, well, you know, we're nothing like Visa. Yeah. And it's like, really? Come on. Like, the la maybe at your level you think that. But, you know, in the common sense world of sales, you, you all have the same problems, right? And so I think the piece is that the personalization and the personaization of the pain based on who you're talking to, based on the pains that you solve, as it relates to that organization and vertical that's where sort of it really comes in. That's marketing, in my opinion, right? Okay, yeah. And sales is having to get better at doing that, and they should get better at doing that. Um, and to the same point, marketing is needs to get better at talking about the pains you solve, not what you do. Mm. Right. Yeah. So exactly. that's I'll, I'll, that was a long piece to pontificate on, but I, you know, I think that answers your question. No, no, that's perfect. Thanks for clarifying that with me. And so we've now got that appointment. We've got that commitment with the customer. We're going in there. Um, you know, what are some questions that we can ask to start building rapport to earn yeah. the right to ask deeper questions about the customer's needs? Well, so I think you kind of have to do something before that. I, I'll, okay. I'll sort of go through it in, you know, it, it, as fast as I can. But yeah. before you just jump into a meeting and start asking questions, Luigi, right? Like, I need to establish a connection with you. Yep. 
And um, I do that by teaching what I call a respect contract, where I teach reps how to confirm the goals of the call, the agenda of the call, the potential outcomes of the call, um, having a walk away that, hey, if it's not the right fit, let us know. And then I very specifically teach them to have a transition statement that's an open-ended question. So, you know, Luigi, if you'll role play with me for a second, I think I think the, view, the, the listeners will get it, right? Yep. So, hey, Luigi, uh, good to talk with you today. I've got us down for 30 minutes. Does that still work? Yeah, perfect. Got that in Great. my calendar. Do you have any hard stops, Luigi? I just want to be conscious of your time. Uh, no, I'm pretty pretty good today. Um, not, not many okay. meetings in the calendar. Great. So here's what I'm going to do, Luigi. At, at, at 25 minutes in, I'm going to call a timeout. We're just going to assess where we're at and decide where things go. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very possible we may decide to have another conversation. And it's possible we might not. Is that fair to you? Yeah, sounds good. Great. And just so you know, Luigi, my only goal of this conversation, I just want to get a mutual frame of reference. I want to understand what you're trying to accomplish, probably ask you some questions. And, and certainly I want you to ask me any questions about what I do and how I do it. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds fantastic. Great. So here's and here's the last thing, Luigi, is that if at any point you feel like I'm not the right person to help you, you know, feel free to say so. You're not going to offend me. I've been doing this a while. And likewise, if I discover that this isn't the right fit for me, I'll, I'll also raise my hand and say, Luigi, I don't think this is a, a good fit for us. I'll even go so far as to try and point you in the direction of other people who may be able to support you. Is that fair? Yeah, that sounds quite reasonable. Great. That, that means I, that's good. And I appreciate it because this way I don't have to send you checking in, reaching out, following up and touching base emails that you hate getting and I hate sending. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And, and thanks, Luigi. So I appreciate that. So, you know, as we move forward then, and, and, you know, and I know you sort of filled out on your form, you got a sales team and you're looking to, to do some training with them, but just out of curiosity at the highest level, what's even generating this conversation for you? Oh, look, we're not meeting our, uh, we're not meeting a number. Great. All right. Let's stop right there. That's the end of the role play, right? Yeah. So that is my respect contract where I basically just basically said that, Hey, Luigi, your time is important, but so is mine. Yep. I said, Hey, we're going to call a timeout and I'm going to ask you for another meeting. If it makes sense, you agreed to it. Yep. You even said it was fair. Uh, we both agreed that if it wasn't the right fit, we didn't want to waste each other's time. I even lose, used a little humor cause I know everybody checks in, reaches out, follows yeah. up and touches base. <laughs> yep. And I, I Every time I drop that line, I get that little chuckle out of someone like you because they're like, yeah, I know what that email looks like. Um, and then I had a very specific transition statement to say, why are we even talking today? Yeah. Right. Regardless of what they already sent in my form. Right. Um, and you can do that for outbound as well as inbound. But yeah. Um, so that's a respect. So if I've done that in what did that take? Maybe 90 seconds, maybe yeah. two minutes. So, so that- in the first two minutes, yeah. we're now on an even playing field. Right. You're, you're not a prospect and, I, and, and I'm not a salesperson. We're just two people trying to have a conversation. And through that, you gave me permission to ask you all kinds of questions. Mm. So I've earned the right to ask you those questions. Yeah. And now I know which questions to start asking you. Okay. And because, so yeah, that's I'll really good. I'll stop there and let you unpack that a little bit if you want. Yeah, yeah that's awesome because I'm just thinking to myself, when, when that, if the, you know, I'm, again, I'm role-playing, I'm going, if I'm doing that with a customer, um, because you've asked their permission and you've clearly set the process, um, if they're not comfortable, they'll say, I'm not comfortable with this, right? They will. And I can tell you, I've been teaching this for six years. Nobody's ever told me that's not yeah. their process. Yeah. Right. Um, nobody's ever said, oh, well, you know, every now and then, you know, someone will say, well, I just want to get to pricing, right? Like yeah. maybe they'll push that. 
And I'll be very comfortable and I'll say, hey, more than happy to talk about commercial terms when we get there. It's a little premature. Can we hold off on that for 10 or 15 minutes? Yeah. Right. And if they say no, then I will bail. I will be like, oh, well, you know what? Then it's, you know, sounds like this isn't the right fit. Like I had somebody email me today and he said, hey, Richard, what's your cost for your services? And I emailed him back and I said, you know, truthfully, I don't give that out in an email and I tell you to run away from any trainer, whoever does. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I said, I said, you know, let me know if you want to have a meeting. And of course he hasn't responded to ask yeah. for a meeting, but I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. like I don't, like I don't have time to chase him and play his game. Right. Um, he, from my perspective, he hasn't earned the right to ask me my pricing question. Yeah. So this is perfect. So we've, we've framed up the, 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 we've got the respect contract in play. Yep. Um, and again, I'm going to refer to an article that you wrote. Uh -huh. um, it's 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 a sales. It's not a sales playbook. It's a sales cookbook. Right. Okay. And there was this awesome right. quote that that really resonated for me, and it says, "Sales is not about outplaying your prospect. It's about making sure your prospect understands the real value and product or service brings to their daily work and personal life." What are some questions? I wrote that Sorry? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote that? Yeah. I, I, wow, I, I'm pretty good. <laughs> that was awesome. Like it, it stuck with me because I printed it out after you uh, after I read it and uh, I actually yeah. printed that out and, and I've still got it on my desk, so hence why it was easy for me oh, to reference you. it. I'm flattered. Um, <laughs> but, and, and I keep – because I keep coming back to this and um, even in, in the, my line of work, I keep telling – value, it's, it's absolutely critical. Um, and I love, right. you know, Jeffrey Gittermore keeps talking about you've got to give value. Before you can create it, you've got to give it, right? Because you haven't earned the right to create right. it. Um, so what are some questions that we should be asking? So we've, we've, we've done that respect contract. And what are some questions we should be asking to determine what the customer values? So I, you know, so I always ask for clarifying questions. Okay. Right. So, you know, at the end of my respect contract, I said, you know, hey, what's making us have this conversation? And, and in your role play, right, you even said, oh, we're not hitting revenue targets. Yeah. And I would probably double down on that and go, hey, you know what, Luigi, I hear that all the time and I get it. I know what it means not to hit revenue targets. But tell me more specifically, what's that mean in your organization? What's happening because you're not hitting yeah. revenue targets? Okay. Right. And you're going to tell me that there's, oh, we can't do this. We can't grow. Um, you know, my bot, my bot, my job's on the line. You're going to tell me all kinds of things. So whatever somebody tells me is their initial reason for talking, my standard answer is, hey, I hear that all the time and that's fair. I think I, I, think I know what it means. But can you give me more, Luigi, so I understand it from your frame of reference? Yeah. Because for me to just say, oh, you're not hitting goals? Well, here, let me tell you about my sales training. Yeah. I still don't know what, what's motivating Luigi enough, right? Yeah. Like that's not good enough. And so I want people to keep going deeper and say, hey, I understand what that means. I think, can you tell me more about what that means? Or um, why are we talking about this now, you know, in you know February as opposed to six months ago? Yeah. Um, you know, what's, what's the motivating factor behind it? Um, how's it going to, if we can solve this problem for you, how will that impact your business? So I'm using a lot of open-ended mm. questions, not all, but mostly, you know, who, what, where, when, yep. which, uh, why questions um, that are that are open-ended to, to get people to share more. Um, the value of open-ended questions, you know, we always say, hey, it's not a yes or a no answer. Well, that's true, but the real value of open-ended questions is that it forces the sales rep to shut up. Yep. 
If I keep asking open-ended questions, I'll stop talking and the other person will. Yeah. yeah. And once you get somebody talking, it's hard to get them to stop talking. That's yeah, why we do right. that's that's our challenge in sales. Yeah. So And with with, with those uh, particular questions you tweak, you know, those drill down or clarifying questions, should they be uh-huh. centered on like current state, future state, you know, you know, history like w- w- yeah, I think I think you're you're there's a bridge in there. It's a really great question, really great way to ask it. Um, I think it's a it's a bounce between one side to the others. Hey, what's driving this? Hey, if we solve this, what's the desired outcome of solving it? Right. So that we know how we got here. But then how are we even going to know what what we're driving towards? Right. Because you just say, hey, we need to start hitting goals isn't enough. Yeah. Right. What happens when you start hitting goals? Right. That could be everything from we can hire more people hmm. to um, our our culture changes because people are more excited to come to work. It could be a thousand things. So I think it's a little bit of a ping pong match yeah. uh, between what's gotten us here, what's it like right now so that you feel the pain to, hey, when we solve this pain, what's it going to look like? What's that going to feel like? Yeah. Um, so that's a really good way to ask me that question. I like that. Oh, fantastic! Well, and and in your in your experience, is this just B two B like this model, or have you seen it, you know, being successfully executed in the B two C land? I can. It, I think it works in the B two C range. It's a yeah. little different because B two C is often seen as a commodity play. Yeah. But um, but I do see it in the transactional world, right? But again, if I go into Best Buy, you know. You know, which here is a big box. I don't know if you have that, you know, in your part of the world. No, where we've got we would similar, go buy a TV. Yeah. What, what's that? We've got similar, like um, it's pretty pretty similar to Best Buy, but many of those around JB Hi-Fi and a few others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. So if I'm going to go look at a TV, I've probably done my research online, right? Yeah. I've probably gone in and looked at it. You know, price is probably the biggest thing, and then size, right? Size and price, and then maybe 4HD, and then I'm going to go into the store to look at it to see if I actually like the picture versus what I read online. And a good sales rep will say, hey, you know, now where are you putting this? Um, Is it near windows? Do you have a glare concern? Like a really good, Mm. you know, retail rep would ask those questions so that they don't get in your way of buying what you want, but they help you make, confirm the decision you're going to make, right? Yeah. The latest thing, this has been my latest uh, sort of speech, kind of like earning the right to ask questions is to say that you know our goal in sales is to continually help reduce the risk someone feels in making the decision. Hopefully that decision means us. Yeah. But ultimately if I can help them make the, help them reduce the risk and they choose someone else, well they're going to remember Richard. Yeah. They're going to remember that Richard did this in a really nice way and that's just good karma. Yeah. Right? And I say that to people, right? Like the purpose of a demo is not to demo your product. Right. The purpose of the demo is to reduce the risk your customer sees in choosing you and spending money. It's a very different approach to the demo. Right. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. And if you say that to someone's, hey, look, the goal of this demo, look, I'm going to show you how it works. I know that's important. But my ultimate goal for you is to help you reduce the risk you feel in making this decision. Because I'm willing to bet if you're going to spend X amount of dollars on something like this, there's a lot of eyeballs on you. And if you make a bad decision, that's going to, you know, reflect poorly on your job. Well, I want to help you make a good decision so you look good. Yeah. If I say that to somebody, they're way more inclined to trust me because they know that I care more about them than I do myself. 
and that it puts everything in the right perspective and frame of reference. And they're going to start to share more with me when I say things like that. Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because now that the, the sale, I think um, Gartner indicated it's over seven, the average people, uh, you know, decision makers now in a, in a, in a, in an enterprise right. sale. Um, so that whole reducing the risk is, 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 is absolutely paramount. So thank you for sharing yes. that with us. Um, yeah, my pleasure. Hey, to continue that conversation on the, you know, the playbook versus cookbook, um, whether it's inside sales versus outside, you talk about challenges of creating a, a, a playbook for outside sales because there's more variables and it's a bit more complex. Um, when this is the case, when we're in an outside sales role, uh, and the process is a, is a bit, you know, it, it can alter depending on the customer we deal with. How can salespeople build that recipe to ensure they get the most out of the sales process? Can you ask that again? That was a little bit of a long wind up. Yeah. I want to make sure I understood <laughs> it correctly. It was, wasn't it? So essentially, in order for sales professionals or salespeople to get the best out of the sales process, what are some things mm -hmm. they can do to create the right recipe to get success? Um, probably the best thing they can do is listen to their calls. Okay. Right? Yeah. Right? They can do a self-analysis. They can take stock of what worked, what didn't work. Right? You know, um, you know in, the, in the military, at least, you know, here in the States, one of the things they do after every mission is they debrief, right? They, they will, in some branches of the military, they take off whatever their stripes are. There are no captains. There are no generals. There's no, there's no rank. And they go into a room and they say what worked and what didn't work. Yeah. And how do we make it better? Right. So the ability to do that and the willingness to do that is I think the single best thing any rep can do to get better themselves. Right. If you know that you're not good at asking open-ended questions, go Google it. There's a mm. whole ton of people who've written about it. If you don't know how to, negotiate with someone from, you know, another, another part of the world, Google it. I guarantee you someone's written about, yeah. <laughs> you know, negotiating with Americans or Australians or yeah. New Zealanders or, you know, uh, uh, the, the English or the Scottish, like somebody's written about it. So go at, be willing to acknowledge where you could improve and then seek out just a little bit of knowledge. Yeah. And what ends up happening, people, two things will happen. One they have a little bit of a, a oh shit moment where they're like, oh, wow, I should have known that. And some people will actually start to ignore it because they're like, I don't want to be told I was wrong. Yeah. And then the really good people will go, okay, I need to even know more. Now tell me more. What do I need to do differently? And they'll figure it out in their head. In in, in your experience, how many sales, you know, how many, how many people in sales actually debrief? Uh, very few. Okay. Very, very few. So yeah. myself included, I probably don't debrief enough. Right. Yeah. Um, I think we, we will get lost in our success and, um, build up a false belief system that nothing's wrong. And then by the time we realize something's wrong and we're in a slump, uh, you have to dig out. Mm. Um, you know, I think that that's it. I, there, there are a couple of times I debrief, I've gotten to the point now where I, I have in my pitch certain phrases I use yeah. and I'll recognize when I'm in the pitch, if I haven't used it, that I need to now go drop it. And I will literally rearrange my pitch in a matter of a, two or three seconds to go drop these couple of phrases that I use 
so that I know that the cusp, cause I know those things work with people, right? Like if I don't talk about real play and role play, when I'm talking about my sales training, there's a good chance I'm going to lose that deal because role playing matters. Yeah. And most sales leaders are, they agree with it, but they really suck at actually doing role yeah. plays. So they're glad when someone like me comes in. <laughs> so I learned over time that by leaving those words out, I was losing deals. Okay. So that was my self analysis, right? Yeah. So now in the moment I can go, Oh, wait a minute. I haven't said this yet. I need to go say that. Yeah, that's really it's interesting, isn't it? I'm, I was speaking to I'm not sure if you know Keen McLaughlin, who uh, the author of Rebirth of the Salesman, and um, mm-hmm. he analyzes win loss. So um, you know, companies all over the world pay him to, to analyze why they win deals and why they lose deals. It was really interesting yep. because what he does is after every essentially in his own business, um, after every sales opportunity, regardless of when he wins or loses, he asks the customer why they buy or why they didn't buy. Um, yep. So that enables him to really understand. Is he? I, that's a really great thing. I could. I. I think I do that a little bit. I think yeah. I turn around and go to people and say, "Hey, my response, I, my way of doing that is say, hey, if you don't mind me asking, why did you choose so and so?'" And I even think I put in the email. And don't worry, I'm not going to turn around and yeah, but you. <laughs> like I just want to keep learning, yeah. right? Because I think a lot of people are afraid to answer it because they think we're going to yeah, but we could do yeah. that kind of thing. And so you have to let them know that you're not going to let them yeah, but you're not yeah. going to yeah, but them. Yeah. Now that's spot on. So, and just going on, if it's okay with you, so we've, we've now got to the, to the later stage of the sales process. We've asked some great questions. We've really, you know, got an understanding of the customer's needs. Um, what are some ways and questions or what are some type of questions we should be asking to gain commitment to the sale? Yeah. So, um, Obviously, you want to sort of confirm what next steps are going to look like. Yeah. Right. So I'll, I'll teach this too. I, I call it pre-qualifying the demo. Uh, if I'm going to do a demo with somebody, I'll say, hey, Luigi, you know, you know, I'm going to show you this demo and I promise you the demo is going to work because if it doesn't, Luigi, I'm never going to hear from you again. Right. <laughs> um, so, so just out of curiosity, once I show you this amazing demo, what happens next from your side of things? Hmm. Because I want to know that before I give the demo. Yeah, that's great. Right? Yeah. So many times I see people giving demos and we're such in a hurry uh, to to show every click and everything that we get to the end of the demo and we've run out of time. Mm. And you can't ask that question in a calm and relaxing manner. Yeah. So um, I think it's really important that if you can pre-qualify anything before you do something, it will help you configure out where you really are in the sales cycle. Okay. So, hey, I'm going to do the demo. Here's this. Hey, yeah, we can set you guys up on a POC, but just out of curiosity, once we do that POC, what happens next? Once I've proven the concept, what happens on your side to make the decision, right? So you have to ask for some commitment before you give. Hmm. If you give too soon, it's going to be harder to get that commitment and get an honest answer from people. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, so it's really understanding what their buying process looks like. And making sure yep. that you align your process to their buying process. Uh, yeah, but it's also, it's not even the buying process as much as it is just where are they in their head and is this person really even going to help me get where I need to go? Ah, okay. Yeah. Right? So, so then it's, it also helps you determine who, you know, their level of authority within that business. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So there's a bit of, okay, that's really good, really interesting point um, to sort of, yeah, pre-qualify in the demo. 
Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So what are some things we must do as sales professionals? Um, what, are th- what are some things we must do each time in the sales process? Uh, we should always confirm what our goals of the call are before we get on the phone. Yep. Hey, my goal of this conversation is to make this happen and this happen or find out this information or get this introduction. I think sending an agenda ahead of time before the meeting is always relevant. Yeah. Hey, looking forward to chatting with you. Here's what I here's what I think we should be covering. Let me know if there's something you want to add. Um, I think that uh, sending post meeting emails with notes of very deter- very defined next steps, uh, goals, uh, other information that's relevant uh, yeah. is also really important. Um, and I think you you kind of have to sort of always ask like you know are you comfortable moving forward or how comfortable are you to move forward to the next stage of this process? Yeah. Right. How comfortable are you recommending us to your executive team? And if someone's not comfortable doing it, then, yeah. you know, then you, then you got to go, okay, great. Well, so what, what do we need to help make you comfortable? Right? Yeah. And what are some things we must avoid that we should never do in the sales process? Um, I would, uh, this is a John Barrows one, but I, he, he lets me use it as stop <laughs> checking in, reaching out, touching base, circling back, bubbling to the top. Yeah. Stop doing that. Okay. Um, have a purpose for the communication. Hey, the purpose of this email is the goal of this phone call is, and it cannot be the goal of this phone call is to follow up on the email I sent last week. Like that <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think you need to stop saying this is a tough one for people. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, particularly in the demo, 95% of the time, that's a terrible question to ask. There's 5% of the time where it's okay to ask that question, but yeah. 95% of the time that all you're going to get is a yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. When you should be asking things like, Hey, I want to pause right here. How does this compare to your current process? Um, wow, how do you like what you're seeing so far? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Could you just go, how, how does this compare to your current process? Yep. Now that's awesome. That's ask such for, a great question. Yeah, ask for something meaningful. The answer to, does this make sense? Is a t- you get nothing out of that. Right. Yeah. yeah and, like, and I hate nowhere, the one that people go, do you understand? Your, you know, some sales people, that? I've heard some sales guys go, or some sales people say, do you understand? Did you understand what I'm saying? Same thing. I'm like, man, yeah. you know, you're just insulting me. Of course the they understand. <laughs> you're not speaking another language. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I've, I've actually been super excited to ask you this question. Um, is sales a science or an art? Oh, it's a science. Yeah. People love to argue. I've debated this online. Oh, and I've been debating you fun. online. So this is why I'm asking. Yeah, it's a fucking science and everybody <laughs> who says it's art, like there's nothing that a salesperson does that can't be taught, right? All this stuff I'm talking about, open versus closed into questions, psychological mirroring, labeling, uh, multiple choice questions, uh, all that stuff, the respect contract, that's all based on science. Some people will call it a pseudoscience because it's, I call it psychology based in my mind. Yeah. And some people say psychology is more of a pseudoscience and i I am not smart enough to debate that topic, yeah. but sales is way more science. Okay. Right? I can teach anybody how to follow the sales process, which questions to ask, how to ask them. What I can't teach, and this might be the slightest part that's an art, is their willingness and desire. Yeah. Like if, they don't, if they're uncomfortable doing it, well, 
I can teach them till I'm blue in the face, but that's not going to make them do it. But I've yet to find anything that's a science, that's an art in sales. Um, the people who, who the people who argue that it's an art, you know, will also argue that that they don't use scripts in sales. And I will say that's you know, again, I'll call bullshit on that because every salesperson I know, even the best, say the same phrases, the same little isms, the mm. same little things over and over again, right? Yeah. Um, you know, for me again, it's it's hey, I have to make sure that I say. Uh, real play and role play. Mm. Well, that's a script. Those two little words, it's a teeny tiny mini script, but it's a script. Yeah. Because if, and, and the reason we use scripts and the reason we do it is because it allows us to be more free thinking when we know what we're going to say ahead of time. Yeah. If I'm freewheeling it the whole time, there's no way I can think about, I can't consciously listen to what someone is saying to me and interpret it and equally think about what I need to say next to sound intelligent. The brain does not work that way. So anyway, so it's a science. But That's, I'm sure some people are going to tweet at me, everybody. R. Harris 415, <laughs> disagree with me. It's all right. Like I said, I've had, in, I've had whatever. good, good yeah. debate with you. I'm, on. I'm glad to have this debate anytime. <laughs> I've had good debate, robust debate with you about this subject. So it's, it's interesting that script part because I often say, you know, people go, because I'm a big fan of scripts. Um, they say, oh, no, I don't use scripts. But then... When I recall, or when we go back and listen to their calls, or when we're in the field and yes. we actually we go, well, you're it's actually, yeah, you're using a script. You just, you, you just, you know, you've got a certain way you're doing it, and it's not helping that customer. Um, Completely agree. You know, because yeah, so that, that's really awesome. So, um, so thanks for sharing that. And again, maybe you know that that's a good follow up thread. Um, sales, you know, is sales an art versus a science? But um, so in your career, I know you spoke about John Burroughs, um, biggest influence. And why is, is he the biggest influence in your sales career or is there somebody else? Uh, no, I think, I think, uh, there's a lot of people at different stages. Um, yeah. certainly my parents are big influencers. They were both, they were both, um, hard, you know, my mom's still working, yeah. um, are hard workers. Uh, they're, they were not the retiring type. So I think they instilled a strong work ethic yeah. in me to work hard. Um, I think my first sales boss, uh, Kenny, uh, Kenny, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he was the one who hired me in my first sort of inside sales role outside of yeah. retail sales was influential. Uh, my buddy, Scott Lease down in Austin, um, who you should interview for your podcast, by the way. Right. Um, also very inspirational. Uh, John Barrows, clearly Trish Bertuzzi has been really wonderful to me. Lori Richardson's been great. Jill Conrath. Um, I think there's a lot of people who've been some are probably influential in ways they don't even realize it, right? Like they, you know, I see them as a mentor, although I may not pick up the phone and ask them a ton of questions, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Keenan is another guy yeah. that I really like. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's, there's, it just depends, you know, my wife, yeah. right? I mean, they, you know, they've mentored me. My kids, you want to learn about having patience and sales? Have kids. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, Oh, Riley and Bodie are amazing. Like they teach me how to do stuff and I get to practice all my techniques with them. Yeah. I, I use all my sales techniques on my kids just to see if they work. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm, I'm hearing uh, you there. I've got a 16 year old daughter and um, all my sales and negotiation tactics, they're just not working. You know? <laughs> yeah. exactly. I, I get it. I think, oh, I think, you know, I think Chris Voss is a guy, if you haven't read his book, uh, Never Split the Difference. Yes. Um, that's life changing, I think. When it, particularly with the kids' side of stuff, yeah. um, th those are the people. You know, it, the, the, who do I call for advice? 
these I call John Barrows, I, I call Scott Lease, I call Trish Bertuzzi, I call Max Altschuler, I yeah. call Kyle Porter. Um, those are the people I call for advice. Yeah, if you're looking for those kinds of people. Yeah, awesome. Well, there's some pretty um, big names, and uh, you know we've got a couple of them coming on the show in, in the next couple Great. of weeks, which is really exciting. Um, I'm super excited about Trish because uh, absolutely yeah. love what, what she does. Um, yeah, tell tell her I said hello. Yes, so. definitely. <laughs> um, so, if you could go back in time and do it all over again, um, what would you do differently? One or two things you do. I would have started. I would have started educating myself educating. sooner in the sales process. Right, yeah. like I, I work with so many millennials. They're twenty something, and they're just they're ferocious readers about this stuff. They want to learn all that stuff. That's the one thing I would have done is I would have probably read more. Oh, fantastic! So the education piece is something yep. that you would have focused on earlier. Yep, Yeah. absolutely. That, that is awesome. Well, mate, I, I've really enjoyed today, uh, Richard, so I really appreciate you coming on. Um, but before we let you go, um, can you please share where we can connect and find you? And we'll also put that in the show yep. notes. Yeah, no, you can find me on Twitter at rharris415. You can find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash rharris415 or Richard Harris. Uh, my website's the Harris Consulting Group. Um, I'm always happy to engage with people on social media or email or direct. Um, I, I'll even, here's my phone number, 415-596-9149-596-9149. Nobody ever fucking calls me, but I love to post it. <laughs> That's um, awesome. We'll put that in the show notes, okay? And we'll put the- uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm Sangram over it at-, at uh, Terminus, he does a presentation, you know, every few months and he puts my name and my phone number up there and he says, you know, everybody, Richard says, if you call him, he'll talk to you. Like maybe once every <laughs> six months, someone will call me, you know, so That's it's fantastic. funny. People are afraid of the phone. Yeah. So, um, but, but you know, you can find me. It's the inner, it's the interweb these days. You can, you can yeah. find me anywhere. No, this is awesome. So, look, we've definitely um, dived into a lot of stuff, and the great thing is uh, we've we've got probably got another couple of episodes on, on a few other topics we can talk about. So, um, I'll have to get you great. back on uh, another time. So, really appreciate your time, Richard, and um, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no worries. I, it was a pleasure. I'm, I'm I'm glad, and you know, you'll probably have to edit this out, but you know, I'm glad to know that we yeah. you know we weren't here to fuck spiders now. <laughs> what an episode that was from Richard Harris. What were some of the takeaways from that episode? What were some of those thought-provoking messages that Richard shared with you that resonated with you? After listening to that episode, what are you gonna be doing differently when you approach your customers? What are the type of questions you're gonna ask to engage with your customer and create value? You know, anyone can show up to a customer. And as the famous Jeb Blunt says, anyone can show up and throw up. But it takes skill to be able to ask engaging questions that provoke thought, that get the customer to really consider their current situation and what outcome they would love to work towards. So after listening to this episode, my challenge to you is, what are the types of questions you're asking to provoke that thought with your customer and really create value? And are you really giving consideration to the questions that you're asking? and how those questions are impacting the customer during the buying process. So as always, my challenge is, how are you going or what are you gonna to do to be the best sales professional you can be?